The world of alcohol is a large and fascinating place. As a lifelong storyteller, I enjoy nothing more than hearing people's stories, finding out what inspired them, and really what makes them tick. This is Hudson Lindenberger, the host of Booze News, and you're listening to Roar on WGN. I want to be in the game because I love to be in the game. I love the beer business. It's a passion project. Hell, if I could make a pile of money from it, that'd be great. But that that's not the be-all, end-all for me. To me, I want a beer with my name on it that represented what I like in a beer. And we've done that twice. Well, hey, Steve, thanks for uh, jumping on today to talk with us, you know, about beer and about a uh, broken skull beer. And I mean, I think that, quite frankly, you might be one of the more famous beer drinkers out there, at least in America. I mean, everyone knows of Stone Cold Steve Austin and your uh, your cold beers, but thanks for jumping on with us. Hey, man, to, to be famous for drinking beer is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> there's there's a lot of worse things you could be famous for. You could be a Kardashian. I think I'd rather be famous for drinking beer. I'll stick with a beer. Yeah, amen to that. Well, yeah, thanks for jumping on today. You know, I always I always find it interesting as a kid growing up. You know, I grew up in Kentucky, and you know, we used to go to the wrestling, and we used to see Jerry, the King Lawler, and those guys as they came through. And I remember, you know, being in high school in the '80s and going to the wrestling, and just having a ball watching it and just screaming and getting crazy and cheering everyone. Like what, what brought you to wrestling? Cause I mean, you know, you're a pretty interesting guy and you really look like you had fun when you're in there wrestling. Well, I was, I was watching it when I was a kid, I was seven or eight years old and I found it on TV and I, you know, I saw a guy It was in, it was Houston wrestling and dusty Rose was bleeding like a stuck pig in the middle of the ring. And someone had the iron claw on him. And I just fell in love with it. It was just a, a whole different presentation way back in the day. Smoke build arena, just a rope banister around the ring, an armed security guard walking around the ring. My mom was reading her magazine uh, back behind me, and I looked at her because Dusty was in bad shape. He was bleeding. And I said, Mom, why didn't, why didn't the security guard help Dusty? Because he had a sidearm. <laughs> you know, so I was totally hooked from day one. And, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a wrestler. And so, you know, through college football, working out, and ending up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, when I got through playing college football, I would, I would drive back and forth to watch the very famous Texas wrestling family, the Von Erichs, uh, wrestle. And there was a guy there named Gentleman Chris Adams who had a wrestling school. And at the time, I, I dropped out of college. I had 17 hours to graduate, and I was driving a forklift for a living. And loading and unloading trucks. And I went to that wrestling academy. And from then on, I hit the road and starved to death like everybody else, paid my dues and, you know, learned how to work and learned how to sell tickets. Yeah, you know, I think what was always interesting about wrestling, it seemed like it, it gave people the opportunity to kind of punch out and just kind of transport themselves as something different. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget being like, 16 or 15 in a wrestling ring and looking over and seeing this little old lady just screaming, just rip his damn head off, kill him, ripping. I'm just like, wow, grandma, this is crazy stuff. I mean, I think it gives everyone that opportunity to punch out and just kind of have fun, let the hair down for a bit. Hey, man, you know, that, that's what it's for. I mean, any, any kind of entertainment, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a, a play on Broadway in New York or a, a wrestling arena like Louisville Gardens. 
You know, if, if, if that's what it's supposed to be, to take your mind off of whatever troubles you and, and for you to be entertained, certainly good wrestling is what that is. How did your persona come about? I mean, I know I was doing some reading, looking, and, you know, one, when you started, you were kind of known as Stunning Steve Austin, something that, from what I could read, you were really not a fan of. How, how did the persona of just the beer-drinking Hellraiser kind of come about? Just uh, riding down the road. Uh, with Dutch Mantel, who was booking the USWA territory that was based out of Nashville. And he gave me the name Steve Austin. My, my name at the time was Steve Williams, but I couldn't be Steve Williams because there was already a guy who preceded me named Dr. Death Steve Williams, a four-time All-American from uh, Oklahoma University. So I show up at the Memphis, uh, shoot, at the, at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis my first night in after leaving Dallas. And he asked me what my name was, and he goes, you can't be that. And he gave me the name Steve Austin, long story short. And then one day, me and him were riding down the road, and he goes, yeah, I was a good guy. I was was a baby face. And he goes, one of these days, you can turn heel, and you can call yourself stunning Steve Austin and be just a, you know, kind of a arrogant prick. And there was nothing stunning about it. You know, I didn't, hell, I couldn't afford any ring gear. I was starving to death. But there I was, stunning Steve and, uh, you know, long story short, I, you know, went up to WCW in Atlanta. I tore my tricep off my arm and I went up to WWE. And I'd already talked to Vince several times and he didn't really have any plans for me. He just was going to bring me in as a mechanic. A mechanic is a guy that can have a match with anybody and go out in the first, you know, part of the card, whether it's open match or mid card, and, you know, just have a wrestling match. You're not a guy you're paying to see. But, you know, uh, I signed up for it and, and started in as a WWE as a ringmaster. And, boy, that was a suck-ass name, the ringmaster. <laughs> and I was frustrated because I'd been, you know, studying Steve Austin for a while. And at least I, I didn't delve into deeply developing that character, but it was a character nonetheless, or at least an identity. And I was frustrated, and I went home and watched an interview with uh, – the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski, who was a hitman for the mob way back in the day. And I was like, wow, this guy's pretty cold-blooded. That's a good gimmick. And so anyway, long story short, came up with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And when, when I kind of turned into the Hellraiser, more intense guy, that kind of more modeled my mentality on an athletic football field or throwing the discus. Uh, so all I did was just dial up my personality to a 10 or 11 rather than just being like, like I'm talking to you right now. I mean, that could be that guy in two seconds, but we're just talking. So I did that and I started talking all that trash that I heard going up in South Texas when they finally stuck a microphone in front of my, in front of my face and they realized I could talk and things started clicking. And after many, many years of bureaucratic red tape, getting held down, getting passed over, or, you know, not, not being seen as the guy that would ever lead an industry passed over. Finally, I started getting some traction and things started working and Vince saw that and they started pushing me and it turned out to be a pretty good run. When did the beer come into it? I mean, I always have the images of you at the beer and they're like, you know, when, when did that kind of show up? And, you know, I, I was reading and watching looks of videos. I remember, it, you know, it seems like it kind of just took off once everyone started seeing you crack a beer and pour it down it just took on a life of its own 
You know, I, I got to throw to a Sandman at ECW. Sandman was already doing it. He was this great character, uh, just this badass guy who showed up in warm-ups and a T-shirt and a cane, and he would smoke a cigarette and he was drinking his beer. <laughs> you weren't copying him, but I, I, I can't remember how it got introduced. I just started catching beers, and he would bash him off his head. But I got to go to Sandman as being the first guy to do it. But and, you know, certainly when I did it, it was a real natural fit. I've been a beer drinker my whole damn life. So it just took a life of its own. And you know, we didn't copy Sandman. But I, w- I, w- I will say he's the first. I just know that once we once we started doing it, I started doing it, it took off like wildfire. Yeah, and you always had the two-handed, you know, slam the beers together and just pour it half down, and half of it just went all over hell and back. Well, and I always tell everybody, because, you know, you can sit there and sip a beer, but when you're in front of 20,000 people, you know, if you're not pouring half that beer on you, that person in row 100 back there can't see it. So people go, oh, you wasted a lot of beer. No, man, that's called show business, you know. <laughs> Some of it goes in, that's for me. The part that goes on, that that's for the crowd, you know. And, and you were talking about, you know, crashing those beers together. I would always get thrown those beers by the timekeeper, a guy named Mark Eaton, and he would throw them underhanded, a lob. And, man, I would be signaled to Mark to throw those beers, and sometimes I'd be way on the other side of the ring, and I'd tell him, you know, I'd just nod at him. And that's kind of like a pitcher and a catcher giving each other signals. Sometimes he'd shake me off like, hey, man, that's too close to the crowd, too far away. And I'd give him the yes nod. That means throw it. And if I say throw it, you got to. So, hell, I was known for if if I could have caught footballs in the NFL playing a tight end position, I could have made a lot of damn money because I could catch a damn beer. <laughs> Did you ever get approached back in the day by any beer companies? I mean, you know, like I worked for a decade in a beer distributor, one of the biggest ones in Colorado. And I got to tell you, from a sales point of view, man, we would have, you know, this was in the early 2000s. We would have loved to have had POS with you on it. You know, we approached one major beer company. I won't mention their name, but I was much too aggressive back then. And they were very conservative and, you know, I don't think that they would have touched me with a 10-foot pole, and they didn't. But we pitched someone. And then because it was so much attention, the ratings were so high, I said, man, piss on just giving any one brand too much publicity or love. So I started swapping them out. You know, we'd go through all the big ones. And, you know, there was the mainstays, which are popular and still popular today. But I rotated them out because I was like, hey, man, trying to scratch it back but if you ain't gonna scratch mine i'm gonna move on to the next one i don't know if you saw i in the course of doing research for this i found this website that had this article from four days ago and it said that uh your beer tosser uh, wayne jeffers is that who would throw you beers or is that just no, Look, this article said it was a funny little article it cracked me up i knew it couldn't be real but it said that uh wayne jeffers and uh the woman who rolls snoop dogs blunts have formed a union because they work so hard for their, their jobs between the two of you. <laughs> that, was, that was hysterical. They, they have a fake quote in here from you saying, oh, damn right, I support that some bitch's rights to employees, and I'll be goddamn if I'm the one that's going to keep a dollar out of a working man's pocket because I outsource the fellow that heaves beers my way. <laughs> I love when people try to write for me or you know write these things that end up on the Internet. It was pretty funny. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the part the part that was funny was that 
Snoop Dogg's blunt roller. I actually looked at a little research on her, and she really is a full-time employed person for Snoop Dogg that all she does is roll his joints. (laughs) (laughs) Word on the street, he's pretty prolific in that endeavor, and I've met him a few times, and he seems to be doing just fine. Yes, he does. Well, you know, you know, for throwing your beers down with a reckless abandon, like, how do you actually like to drink a beer? I mean, I doubt you sit at home and crack it open and make a big mess out of it. Oh, man, when I'm at home, man, that's that's technical drinking. You know, that that's for me, and, and I don't spill nothing. But, you know, out there on the show, uh, out there on the road, it was fun crashing together and make, making a big damn mess because a lot of times they'd have to change the mat in the middle of a show just because I'd gotten the things so damn wet. And... I, I never forget, my brother Scott was two years older than me, and he was a hellraiser because he was the first of us boys, and he would push the envelope. I remember him coming home from high school, and he had some Budweiser, and he goes, you want a beer? And I said, okay. I didn't know. I was a real big athlete back then, and nothing went in my body that wasn't pure nutrition. I would work out on my back porch on the patio. I had a little uh, plastic cement and concrete weight sets. And I tried that damn beer, and it just it didn't sit very well with me. I didn't care for it. And so I didn't really even start drinking beer until I got to junior college. And, boy, I tell you what, once I got into junior college, along with the whiskeys, I'm a big fan of bourbon. That's when the, the beer drinking really took off. And I um, found it interesting, you know, especially because, you know, one of your nicknames was, you know, Texas Rattlesnake. You grew up in Texas. You know, why didn't you end up making a beer at a Texas brewery? I mean, how did you end up linking up with El Segundo, which is in, you know, the South Bay area of L.A., which seems totally opposite of what anyone would think? You know, they would think you'd do with a Texas beer and do something like that. How'd, how'd that come about? Well, okay. I, you know, way back in the day when I was on fire in the WWE, we were going to do a beer with a brewery in upstate New York. I won't mention the name. And Vince and I had a disagreement. We were already through tasting and packaging. And myself and Vince had a disagreement. And I said, I'll see you later. And that blew the beer deal up. So I could have been in the beer business back in, I don't know, 98. It was going to be Stone Cold Beer. And anyway, so that opportunity disappears all these years later. You know, I started messing around with craft beers because I, you know, down there when I was in, you know, Georgia, I drank every light beer there was. And you remember back when they were coming out with the ice beer craze when they were just. Yeah. Keystone ice, Bud ice, all those ices. Yeah. And so went through all that. And then uh, I started messing around with the craft beers. I don't know, 10 10 or so years ago, 11 years ago. I was like, hey, man, what, what, what is this craft beer stuff all about? Because. I've been been seeing it forever, you know, from the OGs that have been doing it. Uh, let me check into this because I drink every light beer known to man. And uh, I started really getting into the pale ales. And you know, after about a year and a half, I tried my first IPA. What's this IPA thing all about? And I said, man, it's too hoppy. And I went back to the pale ale. And the pale ale wasn't hoppy enough. And there I was born, an IPA lover. I went back to the IPA and have never wavered since. So I wanted to get into the beer business. I uh, didn't want to start from scratch. Uh, me just not being business-minded or having that acumen. I'm very type A. Don't have the, uh, the attention span for those home brew kits. I tried a few of those. Yeah. And so we approached a, a, a company in San Antonio, and we were trying to do something with them. And they really weren't on the same page and didn't see it. 
And one of my former agents grew, went to high school with Rob Croxall with Elson Gundell Brewing Company. And Elson Gundell is known for all of their great beer, but in particular, they're, they're, they're pretty well known for a, a real quality IPA. Yeah, they have some be- beautiful IPAs. They have some fantastic ones. So, you know, that was a match made in heaven. So uh, he put me and Rob together. We met, we talked, we drank beer, and we liked each other, you know, as guys. And just he, he could see, you know, the, my vision and his vision and his company. And that's how we partnered up. So it's, it kind of would seem unlikely with all my Texas roots, background, born, raised, and how much I love Texas. But, you know, I moved out to L.A., and about 03 or 04, I'd been out of wrestling business for a little bit. Didn't know what to do next. I'd retired because of, well, retired from that business. They'd say the retire word, the R word. But I moved out there to kind of get into hosting or movies or whatever because I wasn't going to wrestle anymore. I didn't want to go back to driving that forklift. So ended up in, in Marina Del Rey, which is eight miles from the El Segundo Brewery. And Rob and I headed off and we sat down over a table with about 10 or 12 beers, and I explained to Rob, you know, what I was looking for. I like something mid-palate. I don't like something to linger too long. Don't like anything crazy bitter, and I want decent uh, ABV. So based on that conversation in that session, Rob had, had pen and paper, and I was talking. And I don't speak technical beer language, but I, I know what I like. And Rob came up with that formula, and I went down and we brewed it together. And shit, a month later, whatever it was, went back there time to try that beer. And this is this is going to be the moment. I was, I was thinking like, hey, man, this could be, it might take us seven or eight tries to get this right. And I'll never forget, man, I took the first sip of that beer, and I said, that's a good fucking beer. And I said, hold on. I took another sip of that beer, and I said, that's a good fucking beer. And so we kept drinking, and I went home and slept on it that night. And I said, I was thinking to myself, what can we do to make this beer even better? And I said, we could, we could fuck it up. That's what we could do. So I called Rob the next day and I said, hey, I want to go with that formula. And he goes, Steve, I'm glad you said that because if you weren't going to use it, I was. And that's how Broken Skull IPA was born and to this day. But I'm, I'm not, am I partial to it because I helped create it? Yeah, but it's, it's built to my taste buds. And, you know, double IPA is, is fine and dandy. I'm not, not into the triples. I like that six, seven range for my, for my IPA. It's not crazy high and it's not too low. We call it a session beer. So I think it's the perfect IPA. And it's funny, when you talk to these hardcore beer drinkers, and you probably might be one of them or know many of them, you know, everybody likes specifically what they like. And I, I respect that. When you read these beer reviews, they'll, they'll pours at this or that. Oh, yeah. They're getting all this shit. And then, you know, they, of course, they have their favorite, which is great. They should. But some of the, the beer rates and scores very well. But everything is subjective. So everybody that's a beer drinker has to find something that they love to, to have their, their beer and, you know, like when we were researching Stone Cold beer way back in the day, you know, a big part of uh, beer selection is what that can or label says about you as you're standing at a bar or whatever. You can blind base test a lot of people and they pick a different beer than what their favorite is just because I don't have any labels on it. But, you know, taste is one thing and, and my beer stands on its own without my name on it. 
it, it will hold its own in any competition. I'm not into that, but I'm just saying it's a great beer. But a lot of a lot of people pick beers just based on the label on that can and what that says about them as a person. Completely. I mean, that's you know, I worked in the distributing industry. Trust me, the packaging is huge, and we would always we would always see a huge lift once we did a repackage. Suddenly, people would find the product again, and they get it. And yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like when I was talking with Rob, you know, he said when he met you and you want to do a beer, he goes, okay. And he goes, I don't know how the hell it's going to work. He's like, you know, wrestling and craft beer, you know, I mean, come on, I guess. Sure. Let's give it a try. So what the hell let's do it. And you know, the beer has been a big success, but it's interesting. I don't know if you saw about uh, four months ago, the New York times wrote a big story about how craft beer and wrestling are becoming a big thing. Like the craft breweries, there's like eight or nine of them. PBR has now gotten into the game, but like, a lot of these crap breweries are really getting into, you know, wrestling. They're like, look, it kind of fits our persona. And, and I always knew when I was, you know, selling beer, I always wondered, you know, because the American South was the last place to convert over to crap beer. But, you know, suddenly when, you know, Oscar Blues sponsored a NASCAR, I'm like, you know what? The game has completely changed now. Because if, if the good old boys down South are buying a craft beer instead of going and buying, you know, a rack of, you know, Bud Light, game has changed. I mean, they finally have discovered what good tasting beer and full flavor beer is all about. Yeah, God dang. I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a time and a place for a decent light beer. But, you know, it's been interesting being in the beer business because, you know, with, with being in a, how would you, what's, what size brewery would you classify also got no brewing as, you know? Yeah, just, probably a medium, medium sized brewery. They're yeah. certainly not large, but they're about a medium. Yeah. But, you know, so when you're competing with the bigs, you know, <laughs> with all respect to them, you know, we, we got our margins, you know, and people say, God dang, I could go buy a 12 pack of so-and-so versus a four pack of years. I'm like, oh, go do it. Yeah. I get it. You know, but, you know, our costs are our costs. And so it's been a real education from going from being a, a lifelong beer drinker and lover to being someone who's trying to sell beer and understand, you know, margins and how it all works. And, you know, shit, seven years ago, it was all about the 22-ounce bottles. Yep, yep. And then, you know, down with the tall boys. But, you know, we'd love to be in a six-pack format, but... You know, like everybody else kind of is, but you know, it's, it's all about margins and packaging. And obviously you, you, you know, the story about all that. So it's, it's been an interesting learning curve. You know, as you get involved in it, you realize, I mean, you know, there's a reason why you guys are in a four pack. If you did a six pack, you'd just be too damn expensive. No one would buy it. It would sit on the shelves. The four pack fits in, but you know, you do find, I mean, even though the craft rearing industry is not, you know, exploding anymore, but that's partially because I mean, there's like 9,000 craft breweries, you know, people yeah. are, you know, the, the days of the massive market saturation and where everyone comes and starts some, you know, scratch shoots up are pretty rare. But it seems like with El Segundo and Broken Skull, you guys have done a nice job, you know, of taking a craft beer and actually being able to infiltrate a bunch of different markets, which is pretty damn hard to do these days. I mean, it's not a simple thing. The shelves are kind of frozen these days. It's, it's a real tough thing just to, to get any a spot on a shelf. There's a good beer store that I used to go to in L.A. I live in Nevada now, but you didn't know none of them. But I would try some of the big ones. And what was that back in the day out of San Diego? Was that Green Flash? Yep, Green Flash. You disappeared. You know what? They're back now. They got bought by a cannabis company, 
uh, Tilray, who also owns Sweetwater Brewing, which is a huge one. And- I drank that when I was filming outside of Georgia. We were filming a show at Lake Harwell, uh, and I, I used to drink Sweetwater. That's, that's good beer. Yeah, it's really good beer. Who was that that was making oh, a ballast point? Those are bigger names, you know, 10, 11 years ago. And in that area, I mean, San Diego's got a great scene. L.A.'s coming on like, you know, it's got a great scene. But those were kind of newer beers back back when I started trying them. But, God, I, I would always – I'd be in the search for the, the next best IPA that I could drink. And, hell, I quit searching because I found – created mine. But then it was all about, man, just – if you find a couple of good ones that you dig, you're going to look long and hard – through all that inventory we've been talking about to find the next contender, because to your point, man, there's a shit pile of them out there. And hey, man, everybody should try to get in the game and wants to be in a game, but it, but, but it's a hard market. Well, and I think, look, the way you did it by work partnering with El Segundo is a smart move because you know what's happened in the brewing industry, especially in the last five years, is a lot of these guys are either having to sell or they're going out of business because look, buying all that equipment is not cheap, and starting from scratch is not cheap, and you know by partnering especially the way you have your partnership with El Segundo, which is, you know, you guys split it down the middle. It's great. You know, you can make the beer. When you make money, you make money. If you guys are investing in something, you can invest. But it's it's an intelligent way to do it because you help them, a craft brewer, bring in some income. But they also help you that, you know, you're making money and you're putting your beer out there. You know, and Rob used to be an accountant. So, I mean, he, he knows how to, to, to look at the numbers in a very scientific fashion. He's a very smart guy, and he, he really knows the craft beer business along with making great beer. And just, just uh, it, it's it's great that this is a passion project because it's not pure money driven. Hey, more, more, more. Now, you know, at the end of the day, and I got bills to pay, and so does Rob and all of his employees. So, do we want to make money? Yeah, but for for this particular beer, for the Broken Skull beer brand. I mean, I'm just trying to, on my end, just to try to do everything that I can to seem in it, to be a thing, to, to never go away, and to, to always be relevant, to be a good beer. But at, at the end of the day, I can't say that, you know, that, that I'm depending on this to do well so I can pay my bills. I, I want to be in the game because I love to be in the game. I love the beer business. And I, I just, I want a presence. And so it, it's a passion project, but you know, hell, if I could, you know, make a shit pile of money from it, that'd be great. But that that's not the be all end all for me. It's, to me, I wanted I wanted a beer with my name on it that represented, you know, what I like in a beer. And we've done that twice. Yeah. So you just launched your lager last year, right? We did on, uh, on March 16th. Kind of a famous day for me because I cut a promo at King of the Ring and uh, the Austin 316 promo. So that was made only sense to you know, released it at that time. And then, of course, you know, WrestleMania followed that. And we were able to jump on that bandwagon to get a little push from WWE, which is a great partnership because of their worldwide presence. And I love the lager. But when you turn, I don't know where your taste buds are at right now, but because you probably taste a little bit of everything. I love our lager. It's a quality lager. Everybody I've talked to that, that wants a lager. And that's why we brewed that beer, because everybody kept saying, why not do a lager, do a lager? We're not IPA people. So we listened to the crowd. We made that friggin' lager for those people. But me, I'm a hophead. If I'm going to drink one of my beers, it's going to be the IPA. Hey, listen, lagers are seem to be having a moment right now. They are kind of the hip, new, fun beer that people are discovering. So, I mean, I think 
it's it's a good space to be in right now because there's a ton of IPAs, but the loggers are suddenly popping up everywhere. Everyone's talking logger these days. And that's great because we got a good one and I put it head to head with anything on the market. But if I but if I'm if I'm drinking and I told you we were talking nutrition before we started this interview. I'm on my uh, discipline, disciplined eating program, and I get three beers every Friday night, and I'm drinking six, seven Broken Skull IPAs rather than, uh, I think I was at four, eight. So I'm getting that extra 2% of alcohol. I love the way that beer just finishes at the, at the, at the end. It hits mid-palate, perfect amount of IBUs. So I'm an IPA guy, but I, I love the lager and I respect it, but I'm the IPA guy. You see, um, Troy Aikman got in the beer game last year. He launched a beer in Texas, which, look, he's he's going to do good in Texas. Uh, eight. And uh, his is kind of shooting after the Michelob Ultra crowd. And he was an interesting guy, too. He kind of, he's like, look, I worked in a brewery as a kid. He goes, I like beer. He goes, I wanted to launch a beer that was healthy, that was good to drink, that I could, you know, feel proud to be behind. You know, he's another guy that's kind of in it for the passion because it's not like Troy Aikman needs his beer to pay his bills. Troy Aikman's doing quite well in his life, but he's really someone else who got into it for a passion reason. I'm happy for him. I think he's done great. And he sent me a six pack of it. And I know they're they're really doing well in Texas. I think it's purely designed to stay in Texas. Maybe they'll branch out. Who knows? He has you know such a great following and being in the broadcast booth now. So I followed his football career. Loved watching him play. And just just got a lot of respect for him. And so uh, I'm I'm glad that he's come out with his beer and he's chasing his passion. And I talked with him about a year ago, but. When I talked to him then, I'm like, he's like, yeah, we, why leave Texas? I'm like, why would Troy Aikman ever leave Texas? Stay there. And Texas is big enough that you can sell a hell of a lot of beer and be just quite happy there. Well, on that note, when we came up with Broken Skull IPA, we weren't even trying to leave the brewery. So now we're in, I think we're in 27 states. I think we go to Japan every now and then. So, yeah, more power to him. Texas is a big-ass state, and you can you can do well there. And obviously, he, I think he's born in California. So he's technically a Californian. Yeah. But, but he's he playing for America's team, Dallas Cowboys, and, you know, doing the business over in Oklahoma when he, uh, before he went to UCLA. He's got – he has Texas street cred, so he's legit. Yeah, so you guys are in Japan. What what takes Broken Skull over to Japan? Do they are they wrestling fans over there or just Hell if I know it's gotta be wrestling fans. We went over there one year way back in the day, and myself and it was the Dudley Boys, Stacy Keebler, a bunch of wrestlers. We had a big ass cooler out there. I think we, we went through I know the numbers gonna be close. It was hundred and fourteen or hundred and twenty-four, I think it was hundred and fourteen beers out there us cracking them open and, and bashing them together. That was one of the biggest beer bash, the biggest beer bash we ever had. But yeah, we were talking, you know, about pro wrestling and craft beer kind of being a thing, but well, this is way back in the day. And, you know, maybe, maybe they, you know, I had, I had a good following over in Japan. And so maybe it was that, that said, Hey, let's get some of Stone Cold Steve Austin's beer over here. Did you see the photos that just came out in the world cup of their fans and then of their team? So apparently it is a thing in Japan to pick up after you're done watching sports. And there's literally all these pictures of them after each World Cup match. They immediately get done. They pull blue paper bags, plastic bags out, and they clean all the stands. They leave it spotless. And their team, there's a picture of the locker room when they left their soccer team. That It was perfect. It was like the cleanest, neatest. They said it's just something about the Japanese. Like, it's a cultural thing. They're like, we respect where we are, and we're going to leave it trash. Hey, man, that, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, well, they they must have gotten cleaned up your beer cans the moment you were done, thinking, you know, what what the hell is he doing? <laughs> hey, man, by the time you cashed in them aluminum cans, you had a pretty good piece of money there. <laughs> Lord knows you definitely went through a few. Well, you, know, you you seem like a pretty happy guy these days. Like, what what's your secret? I mean, you know, you seem like you're enjoying life. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I wake up every day. You know, my glass is always half full or my mug. My mug is always half full. You know, that's what you make of it. You don't, you ain't gonna last forever. So you might as well enjoy yourself. And so uh, I, I try to do that. I, I wake up every single day with a positive attitude. And, you know, uh, hey, I got hard times and bad times just like everybody else. You know, we're, we're here and you, you go through life and it's a journey. And good things and bad things are going to happen to you. But well, whether it's good times or bad times, I just, I believe in moving forward. And I try to make the most out of everything, out of everything I do. I'm not a lucky person. I just, I try to work hard and I try to, I'm an honest person. I do the best that I can. That's all I can say because I can't say that I'm better than anybody. I can't say that I've got any secrets. And I just try to be positive. That's all I do. That kind of follows my view in life as I'm like, you know, you could be dead tomorrow. I'd, I'd prefer to be happy today. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you seem like you're pretty happy. And I'm like, because you have really only, you have one choice every day. You can either enjoy it or you don't have to. And regardless of what goes on, you know, I think it was, what was that uh, movie, The Walk the Line, when Johnny Cash said, you know, you could either be happy or unhappy when you're cracking the bricks, but it's your choice what you're going to do. Man, I, I just think there's so many good opportunities out there. You know, there, there's weird, weird times these days with a lot, a lot of shit going on. But uh, you, you, like you said, you, you wake up every single day. You can make it a good day or a bad day. And I, 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 I refuse to hang around negative people. If, if someone, amen, I don't like negativity. There's going to be negative things that will come into your life. And they will affect you. Just get rid of them as soon as I mean, not everything's going to be positive. You're going to get bad news, this, that, or whatever. But I've wasted a lot of time hanging around with people that, you know, didn't have the same goals as I had. And they probably slowed me down. I don't I do not do that anymore. I, I, I do what I do. I hang around with good people. I hang out with people that will make me better than I am or, and, and help me achieve the goals that I want to achieve. And we, we stay positive and support each other. And that's what I believe in. Yeah, fully. There's, there's no big, there's no big secret, and I'm not that rah rah person who's going to get on Instagram and say do this and how to do that and all that bullshit. I, I'm no, I'm a go, but I'm a, I'm a get up every morning. My wife and myself, she's she's just like me. She's Type A. You know, she's very uh, intelligent, and she makes me better than I am. So uh, I surround myself with good people. I completely agree. I, I think that, look, you know, you have a karma bank. My goal is to always have my karma bank and the positive, and I try to do the same gig, you know, try to do the right thing. And I I completely agree about the negative negative people. I'm like, look, I'm not mean to them. It's just like, I just don't need to hang out with you again. You know, I wish you the best. I hope your life's better. But I am not going to waste my time and my energy being around miserable people. It's like, there's, it's just too damn short. Okay, what do you get out of it? You don't get nothing out of it. And what do they get by trying to bring you down? I mean, because I've hung around people that are just chronically negative or been around them. And it's like, after spending an hour with them, I'm like, man, I got I got to decompress. Yeah. I, I can't be around that. And, you know, but that's, that's some people's personality. And I'm not faulting them for that, but it's just like some people wake up and always see the negative side of things and are perpetually negative. And that's just 
their mindset and that's that's who they are and i'm not i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that that's just that's not me well that's probably why you got in the beer industry because as long as i've ever dealt with crappers i don't think i've ever bumped into a negative crapper i think that i think crappering by itself draws in positive forward thinking people that are like I can do something different. I can have some fun. I can make something. Because, I mean, every crab we've ever been into, it's a fun place. It's an enjoyable place. I don't think negative people could thrive in that industry because it's all about having fun and creating joy for other people. And you know what? A crab beer business is, is uh, it's competitive as hell. But God dang, man, when, when me and Rob and the guys get together, there's a couple of our favorite breweries in L.A. or from uh, Northern California or, or wherever. And I'm in a Rob saying, man, you got to try this beer from so-and-so. I mean, we enjoy other people's beer. And, like, we'll be the first to say, God damn it, this is a kick-ass beer. And so I, I feel like, the, the you know, like we said, the crab brew, brew industry is full of great people who are trying to be innovative, uh, do something different or out of the box or just make a good solid this, that, or whatever. But it's very, you know, we could call up, we could call somebody, hey, man, we need uh, one of these. Oh yeah, we got you back. We can do that for you. The, the craft beer industry, it, it, to me, everybody is extremely supportive of each other. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, you know what? I think I've, I've taken up your time, sir. We've uh, we've discussed some. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump with me today, Steve. It has been an absolute pleasure. Hey man, thanks for taking the time. I, I didn't mean to rant and rave about positivity, but there, there are no secrets in life. You, you you wake up. You want to live life to the fullest because you're not going to be here, uh, you know, that damn long when you when you look at the, the the totality of things. So I just I just believe in trying hard. Uh, my dad always taught us to. He, I never forget my dad would always say, "Stephen, if you're going to do a job, do it right the first time, so you ain't going to come back and do it again." And he'd always tell me, "Stephen, don't ever half-ass anything." So I wake up every day and I just think, "Hey man, let's go get them and see what we can do." Amen to that. You know, that's, it's honestly, that's a lot of what my father told me. My father's a union man who worked hard his whole life. And he said that, and he was a positive person. And I tried so hard every day just to be with positive and have a smile. Cause like I said, you can enjoy a beer with a smile on your face with a frown. I will always choose a smile. I got four days to like have another broken skull. So I'm looking forward. I look forward to my Fridays. You know what? It, it just it just heightens the anticipation. When you hear that crack of that crown, you're going to be like, oh, hell yeah. It's the weekend. <laughs> hey, what do you, before you go, if you don't mind me asking, like, what are you favoring these days with respect to uh, whether it's a beer or whiskey? Because are you covering it all? or You know, I've been drinking a fair amount of good bourbon these days. Um, I really love Jefferson's uh, Oceans. Those guys do some really fun stuff. Um, I just got a bottle of really good wild turkey sent to me that was the Masters uh, Masters series, which was really really good. And uh, beer wise, you know, honestly, I mean, I try a lot of different beers, but I don't drink a lot of beer. Uh, I enjoy, it, but you can never go wrong with Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. You just can't. I, I think it's a fantastic beer. I enjoy the living hell out of it, and I oftentimes find myself just going back to Sierra Nevada, going back to Sierra Nevada. I just love that beer. I went up there and talked to uh, who's that? Ken, what's his name? Grossman. Yeah, up Ken. There. Yeah, I talked to him shit. Eight years ago, I drove up there and did a podcast with him and toured the Sierra Nevada facilities because 
man, they're, they're one of the OGs. And he's yes. just a guy, badass guy, great facility. So, yeah, I agree with you. I was on a side-by-side ride the other day, and we stopped by this bar in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't even know it was there. And they had us hearing about a PLL on tap, and that's that's what I drank. So good call on that. I, I took a road trip the other day, and I was like, well, technically, you know, Friday is my drinking day, but I had a bottle of Jefferson Reserve in my freezer. So I got a guy down here in the town that I live live in, uh, Mendon Meat and Deli. They've got about, I don't know, 35, 40 beers on draft, and he's a whiskey and tequila aficionado. So I'll go down there on Fridays and, and I'll drink my three pints. And then he might have a little shot of whiskey. And, of, and he's got a real good palate. And so I, I've got a real good uh, link to or connection for good whiskey over here. Yeah, I, um, I met uh, Trey Zeller, the founder of Jefferson's Reserve, about a year ago. And um, the craziest story was, I mean, he's another super interesting, fun guy. Really nice guy to be around. Very positive. But we literally uh, both grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. We actually went to rival high schools, and he graduated one year uh, after me. And we knew all the same people. So literally, we're like, yeah, do you know Tony? Do you know Kurt? Yeah, yeah, I knew them. He's like, how do we not know each other? I'm like, I guarantee you we were drinking beers at the same parties. We just didn't bump into each other then. So yeah, it's a, it's a small world, as you, as you know, as you get older. Well, it, with, with your uh, tennis playing and pickleball, whatever it's called, how often will you indulge in an alcoholic and beverage uh, throughout the week? You know, we usually, my wife and I, we usually have a glass of wine with dinner, but um, you know, nothing, nothing much more than a glass or two of wine max. I don't, we don't do anything more than that. It's as I get older, you just can't, you know, <laughs> you can, but boy, as you know, as you get older, your body starts to say, I don't think so. hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's that's why I'm, I'm glad I do what I do on my Fridays, and I, I might have a shot of whiskey or something with my beer. But other than that, the, those other those other six and three quarter days are the, the clean days. You can only have so much fun until the time comes to uh, say it's about time to re- take a little breather and let the body get clean. And we'll be down in Florida with my in laws and on the boat every day. And good for you. Well, cool, Steve. Well, have a good one, sir. I will. You do the same. I look forward to the next time we talk, and if I'm out in Nevada, I'll reach out. Hey, man, I'm in the Reno area, and, and, and Tahoe is 15 miles away. If you're ever in, in that neck of the woods, that's where I'm at, so give me a shout. <laughs>